0: How's everyone doing? Doing well? Awesome. So this morning, we're continuing in our series on the book of Ephesians. Um, Just to recap, last week, Hugh finished up Ephesians chapter 2, and so far in the book of Ephesians, Paul has described the spiritual blessing that us believers have in Christ. We saw in Ephesians 1 how it is because of God's glorious grace that we are saved through the blood of Jesus. We learned the greatness of God's plan. In Ephesians 2, Paul expands on this idea, stating that we were once dead in our trespasses, but now we are raised up in Christ. And Paul goes on to describe how Jesus is now the cornerstone for all believers from all different backgrounds, right? In Jesus, those who were considered to be far away from God and those who were considered to be God's people are now brought together as a new people in Jesus. Now in Ephesians 3, we'll see Paul continue on this train of thought from chapter two, but he'll, be, he'll begin by describing a, a mystery. Who here is a, a fan of mystery books or movies or TV shows? Yeah, cool. Um, the problem with, with mystery books or movies is that you can't really talk about them with anyone who hasn't seen them, right? Um, the most you can really say is that something happened, either good or bad, and at the end of the movie or book, we find out what that thing is or who, who did that thing, right? I guess, that's the, 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 uh, I guess that's the same thing with all movies and books. You don't want to spoil the ending, but uh, with mysteries, it's a little bit more at stake because the entire draw to a mystery is that it remains a mystery. In Ephesians 3, Paul, he disregards this rule. He tells us there's a mystery that's been revealed to him by God, and he believes it's his duty to tell everyone about this mystery. But in this case, it, it isn't a bad thing that, that Paul is revealing what this mystery is. In fact, it's a mystery that we need to hear. It's, it's one that we should have a desire to share with others as well. So today, in today's verses, we'll, we'll not only learn what this mystery is, but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll learn why Paul feels conviction, or feels a need to share it, and what the purpose is uh, of this mystery for us individually and for us as the church. So let's, let's begin now by taking a look at chapter 3, uh, this morning, we're focusing on the first 13 verses of the chapter, and just like we've said in previous weeks, even though we're breaking out these these chapters into two weeks, there's still so much that we can't cover in this time, so I would encourage us to read through these verses on our own uh, throughout this next week. So let's read together, starting in verse 1. Uh, I'll have the verses behind me, but feel free to turn there on your, your Bible apps or your physical Bibles. Paul says this, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. And we see right away, this is a, a unique passage. In the first verse of this passage, Paul, he begins a thought, but then he interrupts himself. He's, he's so excited to share something. Have, have any, any of you been in a conversation with someone and they go on a detour and and uh, just lose the train of thought. That's, that's kind of what Paul is doing here. And the detour that he goes to leads us to the mystery that we just described. In verse 3, Paul tells us that the mystery has been made to him, made known to him by revelation. Uh, so let's continue reading now, verses 4 through 5. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So everything we've, we've heard and read about in chapters 1 and 2 of Ephesians so far is, is uh, reinforcing this mystery that Paul is about to describe. It's something that it wasn't revealed to generations before. Um, it wasn't revealed to any of the, the Israelites or the prophets before. But now this mystery is being revealed in Christ to all of God's people. This is privileged and valuable information that Paul is bringing. And, and uh, he's excited to share it. And we'll see what this mystery is now in verse 6. He says, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promised in Christ Jesus. So here it is, the mystery revealed, and we see that the information that Paul is so excited to share about, again, has to do with the greatness of God's plan. Last week, last week, Hugh brought us through Ephesians 2, where we learned that the barrier between those that were considered God's people and those that were separated from God, the Jews and the Gentiles, they had been united as new people in Jesus. And now, Paul mentions this again, but he takes this idea a step further. And just for some additional context, as we already know, in the Old Testament, though the Gentiles were separated from God and from his people, it was prophesied that one day, all nations would be blessed by God and would worship God. Uh, we see this in Isaiah fifty six, seven, where Isaiah prophesies, their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Also in Genesis three, when God promises to bless Abraham, he tells Abraham that not only will his descendants be blessed, but all the families of the earth will be blessed through him. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse you, and in I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So it was an entirely new concept that the Gentiles would, would learn to worship the Lord. But the new mystery that Paul is revealing here has to do with three privileges that we, we just saw in verse 6. Uh, and, and uh, So let's go through those three privileges now. First off, not only are the Gentiles going to be blessed as mentioned to Abraham in Genesis 3, not only are they, they citizens of God's kingdom, but now in Jesus they are fellow heirs together with Israel. And this is another way of saying that the Gentiles are now considered to be part of God's family, his children. And Paul is saying here that not only are those separated from God, fellow citizens with the Jewish people, but instead they are co-inheritors, part of God's family, his children, just like it says in Romans 8:17, right? Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Paul was telling the Ephesians that they were were so much more than just citizens of God's kingdom. They were part of his family as co-inheritors with Christ himself. Second, Paul, he tells the Ephesians that they're also members of one body together with Israel. Uh, I think that some of us here have had to go through the the naturalization process to become US citizens. Uh, That's something that we need to do for Kalina's citizenship eventually. Um, But from what I've heard, aside from the large amounts of paperwork that you have to fill out, you also have to uh, demonstrate that you have some knowledge of the U.S. government and history, right? In the early church, there were, there were sometimes divisions between the Jewish Christians and the, the Gentile Christians uh, because the Jewish Christians believed that the, the Gentiles had to understand the Jewish history and tradition, and they even had to follow some parts of the covenant given to the Jewish people. But what Paul is saying here is the Gentiles are not joining the body of the Jewish people or tradition and law. Like Hugh said last week, this isn't a a peace treaty between two different people groups, right? Instead, together, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians are coming together to form a new body. That is the body of the Christ. And Paul reveals the same point to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 12, where he says, "Just Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And that leads us to the the third privilege, that the Gentiles were were now sharers or partakers in the promises of Jesus. And what promises are these? And Jesus is the promise of redemption and reconciliation with God through through the sacrifice of Jesus, through Jesus' gift of salvation. And second, there's also the promise of the Holy Spirit Paul is telling the Ephesians that as Christians, they are equal and fellow partakers of the very presence and indwelling of God himself. He mentioned last week that the the Jewish people, in order to experience God's presence, they needed to go to the tabernacle. But now in Jesus, God's presence is, is with his people wherever they are through the Holy Spirit. So you might see now why Paul is is so excited to share this mystery, to share this good news. All three of these privileges are just incredible examples of God's glorious grace and the greatness of his plan for all his people. And, And the great news for us this morning is that these privileges aren't just for the Gentiles, they aren't just for the Ephesian church, they are for us also. I know I've been using the word Gentile a lot, but what I mean by that is it's for anyone who has once been separated from God and is now in Christ. All of us who have put our faith in Jesus and have surrendered our lives to him are fellow heirs. We're fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Jesus. In Jesus, we are, we are not just citizens of God's kingdom. We are part of his family as well, as his children. We are also put collectively part of the body of Christ. There's no longer division because of our backgrounds. Each of us in Christ are part of the same body. And we are also fellow partakers in the promise of Jesus that is the Holy Spirit. In in Jesus, each of us have equal access to God himself. There isn't a waiting system for, for some of us who have different backgrounds. All of us have the same access to God. So now continuing through this passage, Paul tells us the conviction that he has for sharing the gospel and this mystery. Learning about these privileges, they had an effect on Paul. And he tells us what his response was as a result. Let's continue reading from from verse seven now. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. So throughout our, our series in Ephesians so far, a key theme that we have seen is, is uh, about God's grace. And this isn't an accident. Paul is, is emphasizing this theme largely because he himself recognizes that he is a recipient of God's grace. Most of us know the, the story of Paul. He, he writes in this passage and other places in the New Testament that he considers himself to be less than the least of all the apostles. And it's, it's not just him being humble here. He likely meant it or believed it before Paul was an apostle, as we know already, he was a, a Jewish leader who persecuted Christians in the early church. He even approved of the, the execution of some of the early Christians and apostles. Yet, even still, God still chose him. He still revealed himself to Paul, he still rescued him and saved him. And Paul, after encountering Jesus, recognized the, the overwhelming amount of grace that God had shown him. He personally was persecuting God's people, God's children. And God showed him immeasurable grace. Paul recognized that the value of what he had received, it wasn't lost on him. In, uh, in 2007, a man was browsing a, a yard sale and he bought an old but well-kept porcelain bowl for $3. A few years later, he was curious about the origins of this bowl. He knew that it was old, but he, he didn't know where it came from or, or uh, if it had any other value aside from the $3 he paid for it. So he brought it to an assessor and he soon discovered that it wasn't your, three, your, it wasn't your average yard sale bull. This bowl turned out to be one that was created between 960 and 1279 AD within the Chinese Northern Song Dynasty. And just to put the value into more perspective, a similar bull at the time was also up for display in the British Museum. So in the end, the, the guy ended up selling this $3 yard sale bowl for $2.2 million at auction. So why, why am I telling you this? The, I mean, the moral of this isn't that we should all go find yard sales after church, even, even though that's exactly what I wanted to do after reading that. <laughs> but the, the point is, when he bought this bowl, it was just a $3 bowl in his mind, right? Maybe he had it in a shelf for years. Maybe he used it for his morning Fruit Loops every so often. But either way, the bull likely didn't have much value to him when he first bought it. He, but once he understood the true worth of the bull he likely treated it with more respect, right? Maybe he put it in a glass box to protect it. He probably didn't use it for his morning cereal at that point. But the point is, once he understood the value, it caused him to respond to the bull with new attention, right? It was, it was life-changing, and it no longer sat on his shelf collecting dust. And this is similar to what we see in Paul in this message. Paul, Paul was a recipient of God's glorious grace, and it changed his life. He understood the value of the grace, that he received, and it caused him to respond with surrender of his life. Paul came to know the boundless riches of Christ, as we saw in the verse, and he could not help but devote his life to making him known. He says in this verse that he became a servant of the gospel. And when Jesus revealed himself to Paul, he didn't just admit that he was wrong and repent and go back to the way he was living. He changed his life in a way that is only understood in the context of God's overwhelming grace. And Paul is demonstrating for us the stewardship that each of us are called to when we receive God's grace. This morning, I want us to ask ourselves, have I recognized the boundless riches that I have in Christ? Have I experienced the immeasurable depths of God's grace? All of us are in need of this grace, right? I know I myself am in need of God's grace daily. But there may be some of us this morning who have not yet experienced God's grace or don't know what I mean when I say the boundless riches of Christ. And for some, for others of us, maybe we have experienced God's grace at one point in our lives, but maybe it's lost its place of value in our lives and in our hearts. Charles Spurgeon once said this, the grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. And when I first read that quote, it was, it was shocking. I had, to, I had to pause and think about it for myself. Has God's grace changed my life? Because what Spurgeon is saying here is that if we truly receive God's grace, if we understand the magnitude of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for us, it will be life-changing, right? It will cause us to change the way that we live, the choices that we make, what we devote our lives to. And if it doesn't, do we really understand it? And please hear me, I'm not saying that if, if once we become Christians, we need to uh, sell all of our possessions and become prisoners just like Paul That's not what I'm saying, but Paul was given a very specific calling for his life. But I am saying that if we receive this grace, we need to see the value of it. We can't just leave it on the shelf collecting dust. We need to recognize the boundless riches that we have in Jesus, as Paul states in verse 8. And one translation actually uses the word unsearchable riches, meaning that in Christ are riches too deep to to comprehend. You can almost imagine that Paul was looking for the end of these riches, and he couldn't find one. And we're, of course, we're not talking about physical monetary riches, right? We're talking about wealth that is infinitely more valuable than the oldest Chinese bull. And that's the wealth of God's grace in Jesus. Here's another quote from, from Spurgeon about how vast these riches are. He says, I am bold to tell you that my master's riches of grace are so unsearchable that he delights to forgive and forget enormous sin. The bigger the sin, the more glory in his grace. If you are overhead and ears in debt, he is rich enough to discharge your liabilities. If you are at the very gates of hell, he is able to pluck you from the jaws of destruction. So this is the grace that we have because of Jesus and in Jesus. And through this revelation, through the working of the Holy Spirit and by God's glorious grace, we will begin to change what we live for. We will reprioritize how we spend our time, where our treasure lies. And like Paul, we will have a natural desire to share this boundless grace of God with others. So I'd ask us again to, to evaluate our own hearts this morning, to ask God, do I, need to, do I need to realize the riches that I have in Christ? How do you want me to respond, God, to the immeasurable grace that you have given me? So that's what Paul is demonstrating here. Again, his life is an example of how we are to steward the grace that was given to us. As we saw in, in verses 8 through 9, he specifically was called by God to preach the gospel of Jesus to the Gentiles and to share the mystery that we read about earlier. And at the end of verse 9, Paul mentions that the mystery we discussed earlier was, was not a new strategy, but it was intentionally hidden in God until revealed to Paul and the other apostles. But why, why was it kept hidden? And, and if it was hidden before, what's the purpose of making it known now, right? Well, let's continue reading on in, in, uh, starting in verse 10, where Paul tells us his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to the eternal purpose that, accomplished, that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. As, as some of you might know, our second son, Elliot, or first son, Elliot, recently started in pre-K within CPS. And even though he was, he was born second, he's the first to leave the home and start school. So Kalina and I were, were nervous about it for obvious reasons before he started. Aside from... from uh, park district programs here and there. He was pretty much every day, all day surrounded by, uh, by us, by his family, or by a church family who are Christians and, ha- and are raising him to have Christian morals and values. And now the majority of his waking hours are spent in a, a classroom where people might not have the same values and morals uh, that we're raising them to. And not speaking about CPS in particular, but we know how easy it is to be influenced by the example of our friends and, and those that we're surrounded by throughout our lives. So after God opened the door for him to, to go to this school and we decided we would send him, we started talking to him not just about uh, being careful not to be um, influenced by his friends, but also what it means for him to be a example and leader himself, that he can actually be an example to his classmates by, by choosing, to doing, choosing to do what is right even if others are not doing the same, or, or by loving others with the love of Jesus even if others aren't showing that same type of love to him. And that's our, our, our prayer for him, that as he continues to go to school, that God will use him not as just an example to his, his peers, his classmates, but that God will use him also as an example to his, his teachers and his supervisors. Wouldn't that be amazing? And this is similar to what Paul is, is revealing to us here. I mean, to read verse 10 again, Paul tells us that God's intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be displayed. We as the church are being used by God to display the greatness of God's wisdom. And the amazing thing here in this verse is that God is not only using the church to reveal his wisdom to our peers, to the, to the world, right? But Paul makes a point in saying that the wisdom is meant to be seen and made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So God is, is using the mystery of the church to teach and display his wisdom to heavenly beings. That would include the angels. And despite any weaknesses that we feel the church might have, God is still using us to display his wisdom. Not just to the world, not just to the people in this neighborhood, though he is, but to heavenly beings. And he's displaying his wisdom in two ways, right? First, through what we already mentioned, the mystery that we spoke about. The church displays God's wisdom in the grace that he shows to the people within the church in the unity that we have between those that were far away from God and those that were considered God's people. But second, he also displays his wisdom through the victory that the church represents. If we we look back at verse 11, Paul uses the phrase that it was according to his eternal purpose accomplished by Jesus, meaning it was something that he intended to do throughout all of eternity. It wasn't a, a strategy he came up on the spot The church is a testimony to us of of how God has accomplished his eternal purpose in Jesus and is continuing his plans through us today. Through the testimony of the church, we can have confidence that his plans will prevail in the end because of the victory that we already have in Jesus. So just be encouraged this morning. First of all, that God is using us as the church to display his wisdom, and also that we as the church are a physical example of the greatness of God's plan the fact that those of us that were far away from God are now brought in as his children, this is evidence of the victory that we have in Jesus. And just in case we needed any more encouragement, we'll, we'll, see, some, we'll see even more in the remaining verses that we have for this morning, uh, verses 12 through 13. So let's, let's finish the passage now. Paul says, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. As we already know, Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians while a prisoner in Rome. And he's a prisoner because of the, the mission work that he's been called to. And this, this had to be discouraging for the Ephesian people, for the, the Ephesian church. It had to seem like a setback to the advancement of the church. It likely drove up some unrest that Paul, the, the apostle that was on fire for Jesus, he was able to be captured by the Roman people. But everything we've been talking about today, including the revelation of the mystery mentioned earlier, and the purpose and the accomplishments of Jesus in the church, these are, these are meant to encourage the Ephesian church to, to not fear, despite what is happening at the time. And Paul also reminds the Ephesians that through faith in Jesus, we can now approach God with freedom and confidence, So just imagine that you're being told that you have the freedom to approach the the CEO of your company if you're in the corporate world or any any government leader of your choosing. And not only can you freely approach them, you can freely express yourself with them boldly. You can lay down your your concerns, your fears, your greatest desires, and they'll listen. They'll care about what you have to say. But the reality is that these leaders, they're likely too busy for that type of relationship, right? But the amazing thing is that we have something better than this type of access. Through faith in Jesus, we have free access to approach the God who created all things, who created all of the CEOs, all of the government leaders. And in fact, he isn't too busy to hear our struggles, our desires, our fears. In fact, he wants us to approach him about these things. Hebrews 4.16 comes to mind where Paul tells us, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So to the Ephesians who were fearing the judgment and the persecution of the earthly rulers at this time, this reminder that they had free access to the God of the universe, the ruler of all rulers, it had to be such an encouragement to them. And to us today, even though we may not be facing the same type of persecution, it's, it's still, it should be an encouragement to us today. So just to bring things quickly to a landing now, let's, let's not forget, despite our circumstances, whether we are going through the most amazing season or the lowest season, let's be encouraged because of Paul's words today. We're reminded that in Jesus, we have access to the boundless riches of God's grace, As Christians, we are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Jesus. We as the church are a display of God's manifold wisdom, not just to the world, but to heavenly beings. And be encouraged that the church is evidence that God's great plan will succeed and that we have free access in Jesus through the Holy Spirit to our God at any time. Can we bow our heads together now? Before I uh, pray to close, I just feel like um, I need to invite anybody who maybe does not has not received this grace that we're talking about this morning before. Maybe maybe you're here this morning and you've heard that all of us are in need of God's grace, but you don't know what that means. Uh, like we like we mentioned, all of us are in need of God's grace. We're all separated from God because of our sin, but because of Jesus we have the opportunity to be reunited with God. So this morning, if, if you do not know if you receive this grace, if you do not know if you have understood the immeasurable riches of Christ, I'd encourage you just to, to raise your hand now and I will lead you in a prayer that will help you become reunited with God. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the immeasurable grace that you have shown us through Jesus. Lord, help us not to ever take it for granted. Lord, we pray for a fresh revelation of the immeasurable riches that we have in Jesus, Lord. We are, we are so unworthy of the riches that you have poured out, poured out freely for us. We lift up your name, Jesus. We, we thank you and we praise you that we can be called your children. We love you and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope you were encouraged. Don't forget to connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram.